The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we'll be picking out some of the best work available on the Athletic right now and putting the authors under the spotlight. There was a word beginning with N that some football fans used to shout at players like me. They don't do it anymore. There was a word beginning with P that some football fans used to shout at players like me, but they don't do that anymore either. But for some reason, a lot of fans still shout this word, and it begins with Y. What they're chanting is a racist word for Jews, the Y word. This week, two guests, one theme. As Spurs correspondent for The Athletic, Charlie Eccleshare joins us to discuss the amazing article on Tottenham and its weird and outdated relationship with the Y word. An important topic, one which is of course not limited to the N17 postcode area. And conveniently enough for us, news editor Amitai Winehouse has been working on a fantastic article of his own entitled Jewish or Leeds, the religions coexist side by side. And he'll join us as well. Yeah, I've read that this morning. Really, really interesting read. We'll say hello to the guys in just a moment. But first, Flo, it's finally happened. Let's talk about Solskjaer's time at Old Trafford coming to an end. An absolute humbling at Watford. The exit video, Conte being at Spurs, weird contract extensions. It's a little bit of a mess. Yeah, just a tad. I mean, the whole thing has been so strange, really, hasn't it? From start to finish, him getting the interim... Uh, interim spot I mean we, we've done an episode about clubs picking old um, old players you know that mm. nostalgia around it and why they do it and building relationships and none more so sort of legendary and, and important at the time than, than Solskjaer's appointment which so many people thought wasn't the best idea in terms of his experience and his record but they needed some feel-good factor and his departure has been all about that feel-good factor as well or attempting to do that in some kind of strange PR and marketing form. But just so bizarre from start to finish, the whole saga that started, what, in 2019. Um, And here we are, just, yeah, a bizarre time. Getting him to sign that contract in the summer when people already, you know, the whole of last season had said he's probably not good enough for the job. Um, just really, really strange. And it's, it's also really, I think, been quite a toxic time in the Manchester United fan base as well. So as much as the club want to sort of dress it up as bringing the feel-good factor back to Old Trafford, you know, when we think of our athletic colleague, Carl Anker, and, and some of the abuse he's had to face from Manchester United supporters on Twitter, I think Solskjaer coming in and the way he's admired by supporters and then matching up with performances on the pitch, you know, it's created a bit of a, a toxic atmosphere and then the backdrop of the Super League and all this kind of stuff. So I think for a lot of people, this is a really good opportunity to move on. And we talked about Spurs longing for Conte for, you know, for, since last summer and, and the fact that United have been sort of salivating over Pochettino ever since he left Spurs maybe finally everyone can move on United can get Pochettino Spurs have got Conte now maybe Pochettino will come back at some point but I feel like there's so many situations here where it's like right this whole weird bizarre toxic situation people can move on now because that departure video I think just really summed up how weird the last few years have been. Carl can feel very vindicated with what's happened because he was absolutely bang on and he even got a name check 
for me and right on, on match of the day on Saturday. I don't know whether, whether you saw that flow. So, yeah, vindication for Carl. But the weird thing is, is that, you know, they're probably going to have to go the route for the rest of the season where they do exactly the same thing again of getting an ex-player in to, to manage the football club. And then they said this on the Totally Football Show yesterday. What happens if he does well? Yeah, they, I they know. They could find themselves in exactly the same I know, pattern. I know. And uh, I think it's going to be hard to see how... United really try and build again because every single time I think they think it's going to happen, it doesn't work out. And who knows whether Pochettino, if he does eventually go there, will be the person to sort of restore that. But it does feel like it's going to be really difficult to, to know when it's finally sort of calm and it's finally they're actually, you know, what they need to be because... At the moment, they've sort of tried to just stick a plaster over things by spending lots of money on incredibly talented players and it hasn't worked. Um, so what next? You know, what next, really? Plenty of Manchester United content on The Athletic at the moment. And in case you missed it, make sure you go back and listen to Monday's show with Chappers, where the likes of David Ornstein and Manchester United correspondent Laurie Whitwell take you inside Solskjaer's dismissal. Certainly worth a listen. As I say, plenty of writing around Manchester United right now. It's seriously, seriously good. So if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic for some reason, you are in luck because it's Black Friday week. And with that comes the best deal of the year. You can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of just £1 a month for a full 12 months. Do hurry as the offer ends at midnight on Monday the 29th of November. You'll enjoy all the great analysis and in-depth features that comes from having the very best football writers around and you will also get ad-free versions of all the podcasts including this one. As I say, just go to theathletic.com slash football pod to take advantage of this best ever offer. That's theathletic.com slash football pod. Let's bring Charlie in then. Charlie, welcome to the show. Your article is a collaboration with colleague Jack Pitbrook and is entitled The Spurs Fans and the Why Word, What Happens Next? And I understand this is a topic that, that's really close to your heart, isn't it? And, it? and it's a very important topic as well. Yeah, yeah. It's been something I've wanted to write for a while. Um, for, for the kind of broader picture, I guess, of anti-Semitism, um, you know, societally and football, um, and kind of everywhere. But yeah, Spurs and the Y word, it's just such a complicated topic. Um, and it, it was not an easy piece to write because um, there's just so much to unpack, so many different perspectives. Um, but I guess the starting point is the fact that Spurs fans sing uh, this word, as we know, and identify as um, various forms of Y words. And, and it, it dates back to um, the 1970s when Spurs, who've always had a strong Jewish fan base, so kind of became known as the Jewish club, uh, even though there are lots of other clubs with uh, big Jewish fan bases like Arsenal, West Ham, Leeds United, who my colleague Amitai and Phil Hay did a piece on. But Spurs... Uh, were known as the Jewish club. And in the 70s, there was horrific anti-Semitic abuse uh, that they received from opposition fans, you know, clubs like Chelsea. And so they began to self-identify as the Y-words, uh, as a kind of badge of honour, as a way of deflecting the racism. Um, and this was taken on by kind of all the fan base and has developed over time to become kind of synonymous just with Tottenham. Um, but there's an issue because... It is a racial slur. It's a hate word. Uh, it was used in Nazi Germany. It was used by Oswald Mosley. 
uh, and the black shirts in the 1930s it's it's an insult and it's it's a horrible word really um and so while the intentions may be good and i think they are good you know from spurs fans it, it's a term of endearment almost and 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 to be honest you know a lot of Spurs fans don't even know what this word means, especially the younger fans. True of opposition fans as well. This is what Chelsea's research has shown in their attempts to root out anti-Semitism. They, they just think it means Tottenham in the way that Gunners means Arsenal or, you know, you might call Liverpool the Scousers or whatever. So that's kind of how it's developed. And, and, and the big issue is that only 5% roughly of match-going Tottenham fans are actually Jewish. Um, so 95% yeah. of the fans uh, that are using this word are not and and when you actually stop and think about that it is like you know a predominantly you know a 95% white fan base using the n-word or the p-word or, or this sort of thing and it, and put like that is very very strange and, and and the big thing for me on this piece because I wanted to you know genuinely get a sense from mainly Jewish Spurs fans but also some non-Jewish Spurs fans as well how, how they view it because it's a really really divisive issue and and, and the reason we came to write it now is Spurs launched a consultation on the topic uh, a couple of years ago with their fans as to whether they wanted to sing it, whether they thought it was appropriate to keep singing it or not. And it was pretty split. You know, there wasn't a consensus. Um, and then we, you know, we, we learned that Tottenham are planning on, for the first time really, asking their fans to consider the appropriateness of using this word, which is quite a big step. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's going to happen sometime uh, in the new year um, and that was based on both their consultation and on focus groups that they did but but the big thing really that came across to me in this piece is that actually what matters here is the view of the Jewish community whether they support Spurs or not because when you think about a racial slur being used the only real stakeholder that matters is the minority group that's being targeted with it and something that really struck me was talking to a number of Jewish organizations um, and individuals uh, from the Jewish community was that they feel very, very uncomfortable with hearing this word because it doesn't happen in isolation. We think of it as it's a kind of Spurs thing. <laughs> That's not the case. You know, in every in every Spurs game, there are opposition fans who hear the word um, and that can be not a very nice experience for them because you're hearing thousands of people singing a hate word. And even if it's done mm. in this, you know, benevolent or certainly not designed to be insulting way it's still not particularly nice for a lot of people hearing that word and that was just something i heard again and again and again and lots of jewish organizations saying please can we stop using this word <laughs> um and that there's no consensus there's no complete consensus it's, it's very complicated and there are a lot of jewish spurs fans who love it they love the fact that um you know it's, it's almost like a celebration of the jewish community they feel very welcome so it's not to say that all Jewish fans and certainly not all Jewish Spurs fans want an end to it. That's not the case. But there is a growing um, unease about this word and ultimately they are the community that we need to listen to. So that was kind of the uh, an overview of the piece, but there's there's kind of lots to get into within it because it, it's, it's a very complicated topic. And what is it, uh, what sort of prompted it in a sense that What's been so unique about right now, about the club's approach to it, and what could that mean going forward as well? I think partly what, what's prompted over the last couple of years is growing sensitivities about 
sort of cultural appropriation and things like that. So you've got you know rugby, Exeter Chiefs have come under pressure from Native American organizations to lose the Chiefs element of their name in uh, I think it's Washington Redskins uh, over in America as well. And there's lots of talk about how appropriate that is. So that context plus growing anti-Semitism and a, a growing appreciation that and again, this is where it becomes complicated because it's not really about the clubs, but obviously this is football, so it becomes a tribal kind of us versus you element to it. But what tends to happen, and has happened for a long time, is that Spurs fans sing the Y word in this celebratory way. But we've all been to football grounds and we know how it works. It's kind of a call and response thing. So we sing one thing, the opposition fans respond with something else. And what often happens is you have Spurs fans singing about the Y word, and then a response from opposition fans with something outright anti-Semitic, be that a chant about the Holocaust or Auschwitz, you know, horrific things like that. And no one for a second is saying that Spurs fans singing just the Wildwood alone is as bad. But there is this unfortunate relationship that happens where those two things exist. And I think there is a growing appreciation that it's not that helpful. And, and also, I just think people, thankfully, are more aware of kind of the importance of talking to minority groups and trying to understand how they actually feel. And, and, you know, we live in this world where, thankfully, and especially in football, there's so much about anti-racism. And I think the penny's just starting to drop a bit that there's, it, it's very strange that we have that commitment. And yet it does seem as if we're happy to almost overlook the, the anti-Semitism, both that Spurs fans face, but also just the... The fact that not that Tottenham fans are being anti-Semitic, but the fact that it is uncomfortable for a lot of people to have to hear this word. And and there is just this, what I find so strange is that every game at Tottenham, or certainly the vast majority of games you have, the players take the knee and the commentator says how committed we are to tackling all forms of discrimination. And then that happens. And then seconds later, tens of thousands of people are singing this racial slur and no one thinks that that's weird. And what, what are the club doing? What are the club doing right now? Well, I mean, until that, they've always been very um, quiet on the matter. Really, they, I mean, they don't associate with the Y word, so you'll never see uh, the Y word in you know on any of their official gear or in the club shop or anything like that. They won't communicate or follow or interact in any way with social media accounts that have the Y word in their handle and their biography, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Players are told, you know, don't use that word. Um, so they've always had a distance from it. They've always, you know, tried to see it as it's it's a fans thing. But this forthcoming um, request to ask fans to think about the appropriateness of it will be the the first time they've really taken a public stance on it. And that is I mean, what does that? I guess for me, what does that really mean to well, say, you know, consider the appropriateness? Because I think what I find really frustrating about football clubs, and this is across all discrimination is there is a very hands-off approach because they obviously and and obviously social media has made it worse because there's a whole digital world which they can essentially say it's not our problem Mm. what's going on in there we can't do anything we can't police the internet and i i sometimes find that football clubs often take the same approach in the same in the grounds as well which is we can't you know we're not going to be able to police all the fans behavior so do you, do you think that's a strong enough approach just to say consider the appropriateness, you know? I, I, I totally see that. I think one of the issues that um, 
clubs have and, and this may well be interpreted as a very generous reading of it but I do think from speaking to fans both Jewish and non-Jewish and from other clubs there is an acceptance that if the club is to come down on them like a ton of bricks and say to fans you can't sing that word you cannot sing that word it it just becomes um, a sort of us v you and this almost happened a few years ago so the FA suddenly decided that they were going to clamp, clamp down on this kind of thing and three Spurs I remember that video there was a yeah the Gary Lineker and well, a few that others was the, so that. that was the Y word video and that was actually led by David Baddiel uh, and right. his brother Ivor who I and I spoke to David for the piece but that, but that kind of ties into one of the issues is that who the messenger is is super important here and so if it's Spurs and they're te- first of all, fans don't like being told what to do. We know that. Um, and so the fear is that if you... S- so what happened then was there were arrests made of Tottenham fans singing the Y word. Now, two things happened. One, they're saying, well, how can you get at us when we're hearing song, anti- genuinely anti-Semitic songs about the Holocaust, etc.? Secondly, when those arrests were made and then it collapsed because they realised they, you know, they couldn't take it to trial, etc., etc., Spurs fans then developed a chant about you tried to stop us and look what it did what I love most is being a Y word. So then it becomes a kind of even more defiance. So learning from that and trying to understand the importance of it being the right messenger, they feel at this stage anyway, it has to be about encouraging people to have conversations and trying to understand why it is they shouldn't use this word, um, You know, giving people the proper context. And to be fair to them, some of the people I spoke to said that they do kind of agree with this approach that it can't be a you know, really a crackdown as such. It has to be an awareness raising campaign, but that they also acknowledge the people I spoke to that it has to, they have to go all in, Who you know, but, but this shouldn't just be about the club because this affects everyone. And, and there almost has to be two things. There has to be an awareness campaign for Tottenham fans about the Y word and it, how it can offend people, how it can trigger people. But also more widely, the, you know, for other clubs, there has to be a conversation about anti-Semitism more broadly. Um, but there are issues about, you know, who 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 gets across this message? Because I spoke to David Baddiel for the piece, and David uh, launched the Y Word campaign in 2011. What the problem is is that David is speaking as a Jew. You know, that is where he's coming from. That is his perspective on this, and it's about how do Jews feel when they hear this word and then hear what comes from it but often he's t- it's taken as you're a Chelsea fan who are you as a Chelsea fan to tell Spurs fans what to think so it- it's so delicate I mean I am confident I do think that over time the way society is moving or I hope anyway that there will be a growing acceptance that this isn't really appropriate and ultimately it's as simple as it's a racial slur a lot of people from that minority really, really don't like it. I mean, when it, when you put it like that, it's like, I, I just, I don't really see that that's arguable. And I think over no. time people will appreciate that. Um, but we've seen, you know, these things do take time. Things are entrenched. But ultimately you're asking fans to stop singing a word. They have plenty of other words they can use. As David says, never in the history of the world has a kind of racial slur been reclaimed by a group not from that minority group. I mean, it's crazy. It's just not really, it's not the 95% of non-Jewish Spurs fans. It's not really their word to reclaim. Um, And I think eventually 
the message will get through. And there are a lot of, I've been encouraged because a lot of people, there are people on extremes in, in this situation, um, but a lot of people in the middle I have, have responded to this article saying it's not something I've ever really spoken about, but you know, we want to be a progressive club. This just isn't right. So, David Bedell is in quite a, like you say, he's in a, he's in a unique position. First of all, I find it, find it fascinating that he launched a campaign 10 years ago. And really, would you say, first question would be, are we any further forward than we were when he, when he launched that campaign? Secondly, again, just because he's a, a Chelsea fan, he, why does that matter? Because he must feel uncomfortable, I'm imagining, at certain times when certain things are said at, at Chelsea Spurs games, as a Chelsea fan, sat watching Chelsea play Spurs. Yeah, well, on the first point, I, I asked him about that, and he's he felt, uh, certainly speaking from a Chelsea perspective, that it has got quite a bit better. Um, you know, obviously okay. far from perfect, but there is less kind of the outright just kind of, you know just sing it because what you know Chelsea fans used to sing that word a lot even when they weren't playing Spurs just as just as a kind of hate word just as, almost as like a tick he says there's there is a bit less of that um you know and less of the uh, horrific chants about Auschwitz and this sort of thing but you do still get some of it but then to the second point yeah I mean that that is that is the thing it's it, and this was what was such a kind of uh, what I think really stood out for me is that point that it it doesn't matter if you support the club or not if you're from that religion and you're hearing it it can be really really upsetting you know people I spoke to who have had it said to them you know or they you know a lot of people have parents or grandparents who fled Nazi Germany etc and they've had you know they've been persecuted and had that word thrown at them it's, it's just it, it, it's a pretty horrific term um, and so it, it can bring back some pretty nasty memories. And, you know, for the, the Leeds game, you know, as I said, Leeds have a strong Jewish fan base. So a lot of them are having to hear that word and and then and then cringing, knowing that once Spurs fans sing it, oh my, does that mean that some of my own supporters are going to respond with something like outright anti-Semitic? So yeah, there's 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 a lot in there. And, um, but yeah, I, I do think the situation hopefully will, will improve. But anti-Semitism more broadly... I mentioned the piece um, last year when figures came out anti-Semitic hate crimes were the highest they've been so and you know we've, there's, there's been a lot of anti-Semitic you know we've had West Ham fans singing a, a Hasidic Jew on a plane um, you know and things like that and so it does that's the thing it does go beyond football and as much as people can say oh it's just about Spurs David Badil talks about as well he's had people at Chelsea singing to him you know F the effing Y words and this sort of thing at him and his brother so it's not just about Spurs it, it I think there's the fear is it it licenses anti-semitism and also it complicates things for stewards for supporters because there is that element of but no tens of thousands of Spurs fans sing it every week and nothing happens so what I'm not allowed to say it you know it and and it just it makes things too murky um and this is a situation that needs to be clarified rather than made more complicated you're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast and in a moment, Athletic News Editor Amitai Winehouse will join the three of us to broaden the discussion from London to Leeds. Stay with us. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, 
you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. So we're going to carry on the discussion. Um, a really interesting piece on The Athletic at the moment uh, about a, a history which Dan and I were saying we literally had no idea about, um, but something that, that's really passionate to the author. And and he joins us now for the second part of the podcast, Amitai Winehouse, who's news editor for The Athletic. And he, alongside Phil Hay, wrote a piece called Jewish or Leeds, The Religions Coexist Side by Side. Um Amitai, firstly, tell us why this was was so important to you and, and is, is such a kind of, I guess, familiar narrative for you. Well, it, it's a bit of a weird one. I think the, the reason we ended up doing this piece was the uh, a few weeks ago, uh, amid sort of the scandal of Yorkshire Cricket Club, um, a story emerged on The Telegraph about Andrew Gale using anti-Semitic language towards... Um, what was at the time the Leeds United press officer, a guy called Paul Jews, who's who's not Jewish. Um, and Andrew Gale deleted the tweet. This was about a decade ago. He apologised at the time uh, and has apologised since as well. Um, but it, the reason he tweeted it in the first place is that he's a Huddersfield Town fan. And as someone who's followed Leeds United for my entire life and is a Jewish Leeds United fan... Um, one of the weirdest things I found out when I was about 18 years old is that in certain pockets of Yorkshire, Leeds United have this reputation as a Jewish club. Now, like, I knew the sort of Jewish connections to Leeds United. I knew that most of my mates who were Jewish growing up were Leeds fans. I knew that so many of Leeds' owners have been Jewish people from Leeds. But I didn't actually realise there was this, like almost like nasty element to it um, among fans of other clubs. And and that sort of connection twigged in my head and it's always sort of sat there. I ended up, well, I, re- I wrote my dissertation about this when I was at university and then sort of did this uh, with Phil and we, we very much sort of followed on from what had happened with Andrew Gale, this story re-emerging. There's actually a very nice story to be told about the Jewish community in Leeds and their, I think it's fair to say, like obsession with Leeds United actually. Yeah, it made me feel good reading it this morning because it was something that I wasn't aware of at all. You know, you've got you've got all the Spurs stuff, which obviously isn't isn't feel good at all. But it was nice to read that about the Leeds fans and the community and the way they go about supporting Leeds. It, it was really really nice read. Yeah, I mean, one of the sort of strangest elements of it, I thought, was that you know I spoke to uh, Rabbi Gilbert, who was my rabbi uh well he was he was a reverend at the time now a rabbi and i think conducted my bar mitzvah if i remember right and you know you sort of speak to him what is a man of god and and like i don't know how much you guys know about like shabbat traditions basically but you know you're not allowed to use electricity you're not allowed to do any work you're not allowed to drive you're not allowed to there's a whole list of things and one of the things you're definitely not allowed to do even though it's not mentioned in the torah uh, the jewish scripture is go to ellen road and watch Leeds united play um and i remember speaking to the, i spoke to the rabbi about this and it was really strange to just hear him be like completely accepting of the fact that he knew that at least like a significant pocket of his congregation goes to watch Leeds on a weekly basis. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then the fact that, you know, these people that I know, Simon Field, who I sort of went to school with, uh, who's an obsessive Leeds fan, and I'm pretty sure, you know, 
as he says in the piece, apart from the high holy days, wouldn't miss a Leeds game for anything. Louise Levin, who is someone I've again I've known for a long time, um, her family are Leeds United obsessives, um, and she tells this lovely story in there about um, I think it's her nephew asked her once, "Are we Jewish or are we Leeds?" And the answer is both. But like that is the identity that sort of Louise has that a lot of Leeds. Um, Leeds-based Jews have about Leeds United. I just, yeah, I thought it was a really nice story, basically, or a few, anyway. I think as well, like um, we've sort of we've focused on the negatives uh, with we're talking about the Y word and Spurs, but it's also a really heartwarming story at its heart, you know, because it is when you actually look back at it that it was, as I say, this kind of solidarity with the Jewish community and th- and that's why a lot of um, Jewish Spurs fans are still in favour of the Y word and, and, and like the fact that it that they feel this sense of belonging and, and speaking to people from you know Jewish community organisations and that sort of thing they they love the idea of Tottenham celebrating their Jewish heritage their Jewish history those things are really important it, it's just that word that that causes the issue and that a lot of people are uncomfortable with Um but there are, you know, as Amatai says, with with Leeds, there are there are, you know, lots of these stories of small pockets. Um, you know, M- Manchester as well is another area, and there are a lot of Jewish Manchester United fans, and c- celebrating those things is a really important thing. And Anthony Clavain, who both Amatai and I spoke to for our pieces, wrote a book, "Does Your Rabbi Know You're Here," which kind of details out the untold stories of the Jewish community's connection and uh, history with with football, which a lot of people don't realise. Amitai, tell us a little bit about the the history that you uncovered, I guess, doing your dissertation and then sort of told us about in this piece. I think what was very interesting was that the the assumption has always been that um, basically the Jewish community, when it first moved to to Leeds, was very much like almost ghettoised in itself. I don't know if the word would be a ghetto, but it lived in like a a very significantly defined pocket of the city of Leeds. And that that pocket sort of moved northwards after they first arrived. Um, In the sort of early part of the last century, they were concentrated in Chapel Town, um, early half of last century. And then um, as, as time went on, they moved further north and north to uh, or Woodley, basically to a slightly nicer area of the city. Another thing they did at that time was they started to kind of look for ways to integrate into the city and they started to become, and I think this happens with a lot of Jewish communities worldwide because we're not traditionally very good athletes as a community, but we are massive sports obsessives. And I think that one of the things they latched onto initially was what was called Leeds Rugby at the time. It's now Leeds Rhinos because that was the sport that everyone in the city was interested in. Um, but then Don Revy comes along and Don Revy is, you know, turns Leeds United from this provincial bang average football club into, and like, I'm saying this because I'm a Leeds fan, but I think it's fair to argue one of the best teams in Europe at that point. And they sort of, as a community, just drove towards Allen Road. He became part of the um, community in a sense that he moved into the community like his his house was around the corner from my dad's house when he was growing up um he played at the jewish golf club he you know one of his best friends uh, was a jewish guy who became involved with the club itself um but yeah i think i think you know one of the key things to to bear in mind is because the club became good at the same time as the jewish fans became interested in it they weren't like outliers on the terraces they weren't like oh who are these new people who suddenly started showing up now that we're good 
everyone suddenly started showing up now Leeds were good so it wasn't like they were considered glory supporters or like following a trend or jumping on the bandwagon they were just part of this sudden urge to go watch Leeds United and so it, it became this place and 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 I remember like weirdly enough when I was doing my dissertation I, I remember phoning my dad up and just speaking to him about it and my dad like was from like a, a a relatively comfortable family but went to a comprehensive because at the time that was the school he could go to and I remember him saying to me that the one thing he had in common with his mates from school who had completely different backgrounds ate different foods to him went to different places on a, a, a weekend when it came to like religion the one thing they all had in common was Leeds United and that was how he became friends with them basically and and that was the sort of history of the community in Leeds United and 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 I guess everything to do with that was that it was just this massive opportunity for people to integrate to just become part of the city at large essentially do you think we've lost a little bit a little bit of that I don't know I mean this is an open question to to any of you really but do you think we've lost a bit a bit, a bit of that in society now where we we often do forget how football can really bring us together and it, it it's it's become too tribal in many ways and and we and this story is is such a brilliant example of the people who still find those overlaps who still find that that opportunity to for football to bring them together i don't know i i i do sometimes feel like that there's there's a lot that that's missing out of that i think cuz there's so much bad in bad in the world we tend to focus on the bad and you know I'm not just saying this because I work for the athletic but that's, this is where the athletic I, thought, I find it really interesting even before I worked for, for the athletic because you hear about things that you wouldn't necessarily have heard about so you know I've read that Leeds piece this morning it was something I had no knowledge of at all and it was a, a heartwarming tale and it shows football bringing people together of, of, of different backgrounds but I think just because of the way the world is there's so much bad going on we tend to all just focus on that don't we? I think as well some clubs um to know there's there's a fear of um celebrating their heritage and this sort of thing for fear of mm. you know might that offend or alienate or something like that and, and 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 that's the point that it's great when clubs are able to to celebrate their history and the fact that they have these communities as part of it and that and that that does do a lot for for assimilating different groups and i mean football was massive for Jewish immigrants and the t- in sport in general, like Amitai says, we, it is fun. there is the this you know f- a lot of people you know football football mads so when they came over that was such a good way. People like my grandfather and he actually he was in Anthony Clavain's book because he played for Leighton Orient. He's one of the few kind of Jewish uh, footballers that they've been that there's been. But for him, you know that just made assimilation so much easier because it, he was. You know, with most of his friends, I think he was a sportsman first and foremost, rather than uh, rather than a Jew. Um, and and there are t- you know there are so many examples. You know, there are fan groups of different countries or different ethnicities. Um, that and, and the Athletic actually has profiled some of them as well. Um, and you know, the, the really heartwarming stories therein as well. Amitai, are Leeds still quite active in those communities in terms of reaching out to Jewish fans, including them in in Jewish holiday celebrations? I mean, is this something that the club are actively also trying to sort of celebrate? Like Charlie said, are they sort of recognising their own Jewish history as well? I, I think it would be fair to say they're doing that more so than at any point in the past um, currently. Um, 
last year during the second lockdown, um, one of the rabbis, um, a guy called Albi, um, whose second name I forget, which isn't great of me. I'll just say a rabbi called Albi um, from one of the synagogues in North Leeds um, did a... He's been, he's been like doing prayers over live streams during lockdowns as a way of keeping the community together. And he did the annual Hanukkah um, sort of celebration, the lighting of the menorah, um, again, over a live stream and did it at Ellen Road. He walked... If I remember right, he walked down the stairs of the East Stand um singing one of the traditional songs to the tune of Marching On Together, which is the lead song. Um, he, you know, this and the club will have arranged for this, and, and that's a big thing. I think the other thing that, that sort of come up is, um, you know, I think it, he's mentioned in the piece, but my brother sort of deserves like a quite significant amount of recognition for something he's done recently, which is that he's worked very heavily with the club Um on a series of messages ahead of the Spurs game um, about anti-Semitism. And I think there's this, this you know, a vi- the players were involved in a video. I think it's one of the first times that I can remember personally, like a club specifically speaking about anti-Semitism. And I have a sense that like the club wants to do more when it comes to that history in particular. I don't actually think the Jewish community needs loads of engagement when it comes to Leeds because like like I say, like there is just a significant amount of interest no matter what. Um I think something you you mentioned there, which I think is quite interesting, is that actually something that's becoming more and more clear at Leeds is how welcoming it is to people of different backgrounds. Because when I was growing up it was, you know, I, I and I say this because Jewish people are generally white looking it was very like white as a fan base basically in part because of what happened with lee bowyer and jonathan woodgate in the early part of the millennium um but nowadays it's very very like clearly more diverse as a football club and i'm assuming there's been some engagement going on and like it's absolutely fantastic to see i think phil hayes written a piece about um in particular the punjabi whites they call Mm. themselves but like i think that there's more and more and more outreach to like different communities in Leeds and actually I, I'm just delighted to see that because I want to see the next generation of obsessive Leeds fans from a, a completely different migrant community. I think football clubs in general are, they, you know, they are getting better. I went to an event at Villa Park last week with the Punjabi villains. It was, it was excellent and it was it was great to hear some of their experiences of, of being Villa fans. Again, it's not stuff that you necessarily would know about or, or even consider. So I, th- I think you're right. I think football clubs in general are, are getting better. But just to just to summarise, Charlie, what what happens next with Spurs? What, what do you think is going to happen? Well, well just, um, just on that, I mean, it was interesting there, Amitai referred to... Um, and of the work that his brother did and that led to mm. in the Leeds' last home game before they went away to Spurs there was a note in there saying you know please refrain from anti-Semitic chanting and if you hear the Y word basically that doesn't mean to use it you know it didn't explicitly say you're going to hear it at Spurs but that was you know the message so but obviously there's a difference because it's not so tied up with their identity now in the way that now for Tottenham fans it is um, seeing that word feels like you know, a right that that's that's the way they they feel. Um, but what happens next? You know, we'll have the you know as and when it comes this this request from Tottenham fans to to think about their usage of it. I hope that there are then campaigns on social media and this sort of thing, and whether that's led by clubs or by fan organisations. Uh, the the challenge is 
so much of it is not really internal at Tottenham, it's, it's external. So, you know, we, we often have, you know, there are LGBTQ plus groups at various football clubs, you know, campaigning for diversity and equality, which is great. The, the challenge is that you're not necessarily going to have kind of Jewish Spurs fans groups uh, you know, campaigning for an end to the Y word because even therein there are divisions, you know, that most of the conformity comes from outside Spurs. So I think all the game stakeholders need to get their heads together and really think about how we can um, speak to the wider Jewish community and get these messages across because it, it shouldn't just be about Tottenham and Tottenham can only do so much and they can only ask so many people really because their fan base is only 5% Jewish. So it, it, for too long, it's been framed as a kind of, this is what Spurs fans want, but it's really what the wider Jewish community wants taking in Spurs Jewish fans as well. So it's, it's going to be a challenge, but I, I just hope that these messages start to get across both at Tottenham and in the, the wider football community. I mean, I certainly want to see clubs step up and do more. And I think it's brilliant to see what Leeds have been doing, putting messages in the programme, getting players involved in social media. I think other clubs can can definitely learn from that and being a bit more proactive. I think everything is so reactive. And when we saw the response to the Black Lives Matter movement, the way that it took so long to even get a reaction out of the league and the clubs and that it was never very proactive. So I think it's brilliant to see clubs now realising that actually they need to play their part because fan groups have been doing that on their own accord for so long to no avail that now finally... You know, leagues and, and clubs are realising actually we have to step up our efforts so hopefully it's the beginning of some real positive change as well Yeah it's been been really interesting to, to speak to you both, I've, I've, I've certainly learned a lot from the podcast and from doing the reading on The Athletic as well so thanks ever so much for coming on the show today guys Thanks a lot, thanks for having us Cheers for having us So still time to highlight some of the great writing that's up on The Athletic right now. And Flo, I haven't read this story yet, but I'm going to. I need to catch up. If you don't read The Athletic for a few days, you go on there and there's just all sorts that, that you haven't read. But Andy Mitten's done a piece on Etienne Kapua saying, I don't watch football, not even a game a year. I don't know the opposition players until my coaches tell me. Now, as I say, I've not read the piece. I feel like you should know a little bit yourself as a professional footballer maybe I know it's always funny actually there's there's a lot of players I find that when you chat to them like honestly like football is it's is my job but actually I can't think of anything less that I want to do when I get home I want to switch off and not be involved in it but it's a really interesting article actually because obviously they're playing um, Manchester United on Tuesday night and he talks about how his dad's a Man U fan and obviously Villarreal have played Man U Europa League final recently um, and have already played them so in the group stages of the Champions League so it's a really interesting piece about what he hopes to achieve um, and how important it is for him to, to play against Manchester United and and yeah he seems like a very interesting character I, I never really heard that much from him when he played at, at Watford and I don't really you know I didn't really know what he was like as a as a personality but he seems like quite a quite a funny guy so yeah an interesting read yeah, he's at Spurs as well for a bit. I think I remember him having a, a real good goal scoring run at Watford in the Premier League at, at one point. But yeah, I'm definitely going to go and check that out. Is there anything else you've you've been enjoying? I mean, I've been all in on reading Stephen Gerrard stuff. To be fair, over the last seven days, that that's where I've been. Yeah, you've been athletic. doing your research. You've been doing your research, haven't you? I mean, obviously, yeah. there's there's all the brilliant Manchester United pieces. Um, I've written a piece 
uh, on the weekend about Manchester United women's side um, because they're they've been hoping to sort of push into the big three of women's football. But this season they keep conceding late goals and their game management is a bit poor. They've been making some really basic mistakes. So it's a kind of a bit of a look at, at that with some stats as well. And I did a sort of similar piece last week looking at stats and looking at who could get the third Champions League spot in the WSL because at the moment there's a couple of sort of surprising clubs in there Brighton and and Spurs being the most surprising options and it's kind of looking at actually uh, come the end of the season it might be Manchester City who've had the worst start to a season in their history who actually still get the third Champions League spot so yeah I will um, I'll blow my own trumpet for those ones as well if people want to check it out Manchester City women had the have the worst start that they've had, but they still beat Aston Villa women five 0 at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, sorry sure. about that. that it was a bit of a capitulation. Villa Villa completely fell apart. I know, they were I playing really well for first half, and they just completely fell apart. But hey ho, it's a long old season, so don't worry, Dan. I'll be sure to go and read your piece as well and press the the like button or the it's oh, great thanks. button. The whatever, smiley but, face. The smiley face. The, the good the, button. The smiley I'll, face. Yeah. I press the good button. I've done. I've done it a few times when I've read my Aston Villa uh, partners pieces greg evans i've clicked the wrong button by mistake and that's what i have to <laughs> apologize if you do that i don't know what happens if you press the wrong button by mistake i don't i don't know how that works but yeah i'll make sure i press the right one so thanks as ever to you flo and thanks to our two fantastic guests as well for their contribution today and of course thank you to everyone for listening as well please please do get involved in the comments section we'd love to hear your thoughts and wherever you do get your podcasts if you are enjoying the show then please leave us a review too This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater will be back with another episode tomorrow, so please, please join us again. The Athletic.